0: Hi there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I'm your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from a cloudy Saturday afternoon in Brooklyn, New York. And my guest is coming to us from sunny california so it's interesting because about a year ago you heard this is my first family affair on the podcast so about a year ago i interviewed this um, young woman's (laughs) young woman's uh son and that was salim rollins that was episode 37 so be sure to go check that out he's based in kenya and he is the son of this wonderful, dynamic woman who describes herself as an 82-year-old trying to grow up and figure life out. Elizabeth Rollins-Moskowitz, welcome to the podcast.
1: Lawrence, it's like I'm constantly in awe of the world I'm living in. I go back to listening to radio with my grandmother as she sewed away on her Singer sewing machine. And so uh, being able to hold an iPhone in my hand and daily be in touch with my grandchildren in Nairobi is still magical for me.
0: That's awesome, right? I can totally imagine. I can totally imagine.
1: So this podcast, I have friends who are on podcasts, and I applaud you for taking a chance on me <laughs> Well, I think our listeners will be
0: very happy to meet you. so let's let's jump right in. Tell us where are you from?
1: Where are you local, and what is your craft? Where I'm from? is Westchester, New York, about 25 miles north of the city. When I grew up, it wasn't a suburb, it was country. And so there was never a need for a key to our door. I had five dogs instead of siblings. We would just head out to the woods. My Most of my friends had horses. It, it was a world that uh, possibly had disappeared, but it, it was one that I often reflect on because it was my good fortune and my privilege to have had that leisurely, Unterrifying world, mm. uh, and so I, I compare it to the world that my grandchildren are inheriting, and in all directions, I see that we elders have failed them. You know, when you say you're in Brooklyn, uh-huh. my mother's family, uh. Was from Brooklyn, and as a child, uh, Brooklyn fascinated me because brownstone homes were not a part of living in the country in Westchester right. County. Right. U- using right. using the trolley car, uh, I mean that really makes me sound like a dinosaur. It was a totally different wonderful world to experience. I can
0: imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. So did you get to the city often when you were
1: young? I got to the city probably when I was 7 or 8, 9, 10, 10, 11, 12, because my father had an aunt that lived in the Hotel Teresa. Teresa. And oh. that was the day that the Teresa was in its glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had Castro and Fruit Chef barbecuing in one of the rooms. You could be having brunch in the elegant dining room, and there would be Sugar Ray Robinson, or maybe Sarah Vaughn would drift in. A lot of musicians, because the, the Teresa Hotel was four blocks from the Apollo Theater. Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that that part of New York in my life is very vivid. And uh, to this day, I know how fortunate I was to have had that experience.
0: I can imagine. So, how did you make it to where you are now? Where are you local? I am in
1: Marin County, Mm -hmm. a white enclave of San Francisco. And I came out here about 18 years ago because. There was a wonderful man who proposed to me, and he lived in Marin County, and I fell in love with it because it embraces that life that I had as a child. There are areas that are rural, and I love the outdoors. It's what fuels me. So that's how I got out here. Okay. And that's Northern California. That's Northern California. Mm -hmm. And and it's a small hamlet, which allows me to experience anything I need, whether it's uh, going to the post office, whether it's an array of exciting Northern California style restaurants, I don't have to get in a car. And yet the lifestyle is one that I am rapes. Easy, easy, easy.
0: That sounds lovely. I, I went to university in California, in, in Northern California. So I'm fairly familiar with, with the North. So I can totally see and understand what, what it is that attracts you to that part of the U.S.
1: I had the opportunity to think once my husband passed, where did I want to live? Did I want to join my daughter who lives in Atlanta? Did I want to restart my life in New York? Did I want to join Saltney in Nairobi? And I gave a lot of thought to it. And I think the quality of life here suits me. Mm-hmm. And so I relish being here. Sounds lovely. Sounds. And
0: was that your first time living in California? I
1: lived earlier with my first husband when he was completing a film called The Learning Tree. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, when you get old, You say something, that was 55 years ago. Well, for me, 55 years ago sometimes feels like last month. And I can only say that one day when you have the good fortune to be in your 80s, possibly what I have said will resonate.
0: Wow. Okay. So before we talk about your first time living in California and your experience with your first husband, what would you describe as your craft over the years? You know, you've had many crafts, I'm sure. What would you describe as maybe your favorite craft or your longest enduring craft? What would you describe it as?
1: Uh, Probably finally not feeling intimidated by my artistic drive, Mm. Uh, having a father who was an illustrator for Esquire magazine and Playboy, having the first husband who was a renaissance man in photography, in music, in film, in writing. Some of my inner drive was squashed. But that was on me. And so it's probably the last 25 years that I've pushed myself at times to draw, to paint. The arts fuel me, they allow me to shut out everything that's going on and dive into my imagination and creating. Mm. So
0: that's very interesting. You say that your father and your first husband, you somehow felt a little bit shadowed by their creative. Tell us a little bit more about how how that was growing up as a woman, because the world was so different back then, and it was particularly challenging for women. What was it like to, to know that you were creative and I feel like you had expressed yourself in some ways that these your father would have recognized and your first husband would have recognized. What was it like?
1: Well, it was just an acceptance of more rates that were not particularly unusual during that time. My education ended at high school. My parents moved to Zurich, Switzerland. I had taken a course in Berlin's language school so I could speak German. Uh, the Swiss have a patois, Swiss German, and I went to a school that dealt in dress designing and illustration. And I, I even question these days if it was a school. But of course, my parents felt I had to do something. Perhaps the real education came for me being at an age that mentally you're still growing, to be in a foreign country, to navigate how how the country works, making friendships, feeling comfortable in my skin, once at times a challenge, but one that gave me certain insights and ultimately gifts to move on with my life when I came back to America. Interesting. So what year was that that you returned? I was probably 22. And at that time, my parents had a very close friend with Ebony Magazine, and I had been modeling in Switzerland, so she chose me to model with the Ebony Fashion Fair. Okay. And that that was fun because I really had an opportunity to see many parts of America that I was totally unaware of my father's hometown, St. Louis, Chicago, and ultimately ending up in L.A. where my parents had friends and I'd stayed for perhaps two additional weeks once the show had ended. Mm-hmm. So was that the beginnings of Ebony Fashion Fair? No, I, but it was the early mm-hmm. stages of it. And the contracts of... Staying in private homes, staying in motels, staying in high-end hotels, traveling for about two and a half, three months uh, by a huge bus, I reflect on it and say that was quite an adventure. I
0: can imagine. I can imagine.
1: So, in every so, tell us what the fashion fair was like then. So,
0: it was basically fashion shows that would come to town.
1: Number one, the woman who had really started it was named Frieda Knight. and she had a column in Ebony that was called "Date with the Dish" and had to do with menus and cooking. But she also had a flair. For fashion. And so she would go to various European designers and get their permission to um, show. In other words, to some degree, the clothing wasn't exactly on loan, but some easy financial arrangement occurred. And so Yes, it was exciting to suddenly be in a Pierre Cardin outfit Mm -hmm. or a Givenchy outfit, if only for an evening. Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. And so this was in the mid-60s, I think,
1: right? Uh,
0: Yes. Okay, okay. So when you mentioned the experience of driving across the country, you're obviously in a caravan with all Black people, and the U.S. at that time was a different world, but sometimes I think not so different than it is now. How did you all navigate? Were you able to move fairly freely? Did you have any major incidences as you traveled the country? Well,
1: I think that Ebony had such power as a publication Mm. with Jet, and I forget the other magazine they had, but in any event, our itinerary was safely coordinated mm. that there were no racial incidences. Okay. That's and, cool. and often the shows were at convention centers mm-hmm. or a college auditorium, but definitely within the black locale.
0: Okay. Right, of course.
1: I mean, ev- eventually it mushroomed into a biracial mm. uh, fashion show. Mm-hmm. and uh, But that wasn't the case then. So you spent through the early to mid-60s
0: modeling with the Ebony Fashion Fair. And so how did you meet your, your first husband?
1: That is happenstance stands to some degree mm-hmm. gordon was older than i and when i lived in webster county i knew his children oh okay okay you know we're talking about someone who was 25 years my senior
0: wow so you were you were i
1: i i, mates I, with I was his children one of the chicks that said this is an interesting opportunity. And often I explain, I don't try to explain the attraction. I merely say that to some degree, it was kind of like buying a car, mm-hmm. ten years or sixty thousand miles. <laughs> and we we had ten years married, and then, for the rest of the time, we stayed extraordinary close friends. Okay. And my last husband and Gordon became very close. And my daughter and I, daughter from Gordon, often talk about our experiences with Gordon. And yes, he was bigger than life.
0: I can imagine. I can imagine. So let's go back to when you lived in California. So you lived in California when the learning tree was being made. So take us to that time in terms of being the wife of a creative.
1: That was challenging because Mm -hmm. as an only child, I had never had the experience with babies. So Mm -hmm. having a child really intimidated me. I mean, if Leslie cried, I would go through a myriad of reactions. What was I doing wrong as a mother? I managed to meet friends with young children at the local park. And that was important to me because I needed that experience to kind of talk out with other young mothers, certainly not the conversations I was having with Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it 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 was a dual time in my life, being a young mother and suddenly going to one of Hollywood's superstars, and kind of for me balancing those two almost contradictory experiences, mm. and, and so I lived in California for a year the film came out and I returned living in Westchester County so yeah I can imagine
0: I mean it's not unlike being a mother nowadays as well you know there's that very isolating experience of how do I figure this out and making friends at the at the playground that seems like an age-old uh, phenomenon that mothers
1: Recipe for motherhood
0: Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So you moved back to the East Coast and spent, I guess, m- the majority of the rest of your prior to moving back to California on the East Coast. And
1: so where did life take you in those days? Well, it took me at least twice a year to visit my parents who were still living in Switzerland. Okay. Um, and I would take Leslie. Gordon always had a multitude of projects. Certainly, there were some that Life Magazine and the days of having carte blanche, that was an unusual and unforgettable experience, whether we were in Brazil or Paris or Rome, traveling first class on the airlines. If it was part of my adventure. Mm-hmm.
0: So traveling in around the world at that time, um, and maybe even now, I, I think this is a good segue into my glocal speak question. And so this is where I ask you to tell us something that you hear. So it's a word, a phrase or saying that has been a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as glocal speak.
1: Hmm. I have to give that thought. I certainly am aware of how deep and important Black speech and the nuances of Black culture are to me. Mm -hmm. And because I love music so, and Ellington and Cab Calloway and Basie were people that floated in and out of my parents' home, I think towards how Ellington would always end a concert. And he would always end it by saying, I love you madly. And and if you play any of the old vinyls, Mm -hmm. you you will hear at the end of a concert, I love you madly. Friendships. I'm, I'm trying to express deeply the communities I've collected throughout my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that is why right now I feel stable, secure, comfortable. I have a wonderful meditation group, mm-hmm. there is very near me. A spiritual center called Spirit Rock. I draw friends from that community. With the passing of my third husband, artist friends were pushing me to come to their church, which is non denominational, which is a church like no other church that I've experienced. And it's in Sausalito when it has a beautiful view of San Francisco Bay. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that in I Love You Madly, it embraces a community that I've collected from church, from meditation, and ultimately, from the days that I was actively playing tennis, so it's a kind of wonderful grouping of various interests that I had and feel strongly supported by these communities, if you will.
0: that's lovely, I love it. I love you madly that it came from uh I love music too. So so that that was a big part of the genesis of it. And it just carried through as the lyric of life, you know? So I really, I love that. Okay. So you had, well, it sounds like many luminaries throughout your life, very close to you. So you've transitioned back to the East Coast. You still were having a whirlwind life. So where is middle age coming from you?
1: Middle age was a challenge. My daughter was six or seven. I had financial security, mm-hmm. but I was wandering a bit. And I met my second husband through a dance class that my daughter was taking in in Harlem. And yeah, m- middle aged for me was saying, where am I going? What are my core needs? What can I do to sustain myself mentally and physically and globally? Mm -hmm. Uh, where, Where do I go? So it it was for me an awakening that the bubble had burst and just where was I going? And uh, it took therapy. It took a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it took the kind of energy that one can have in one's 50s, but one may not have in one's 80s. Mm-hmm. I
0: see. I see. So fortunately, it happened in a time when you had the energy to be well, able to...
1: I think, you know, there's a reason that we call it middle age. Right. Uh, And I think, I I won't say I was going through an identity crisis, but certainly for me, things were unraveling and my mojo wasn't working. Mm. Mm
0: -hmm. So when did you first,
1: and, and did this have anything to
0: do with part of the awakening? When did you first experience Africa?
1: I experienced Africa with Gordon doing a fashion spread for Vogue magazine. Okay. Okay. And and we were in Victoria Falls and Rhodesia. And uh, I can remember going down the Zambezi River with a at that time white hunter and he was manning the motorboat. It was Gordon me and perhaps two other people. And this man's idea of fun was taking the boat and bouncing off hippos. <gasps>
0: <back>. Wow.
1: <sighs> yes. Well, that was something I did, as my father would say, twice the first and last time. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, that was
1: amazing.
0: Yeah. So, you're going down the river, popping off of hippos' backs, but the, ultimately, it was probably a beautiful shoot that Grace. Well, I, the I, I, don't,
1: I don't think at that point Gordon had a camera. Oh, okay. I think, I think we were all holding on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <coughs> yeah. Okay, so um, how did you start to, because I, I know you spent time in Africa, so how did you start to explore more of the continent? And um, I know Ghana has a special place for Well, yes, now. it
1: does. And, mm-hmm. and dear, dear friend, Renee Netlet, who is uh, an entrepreneur, an incredible counter, and she started a school that would be the gap experience for college students junior year mm-hmm. and, and in an area called Kokobiti. Mm-hmm. And Salim decided he needed a gap year. And Renee, in a way, was a mentor and a mother for him in Accra. Mm-hmm. And so possibly he was there not quite a year. I visited one Christmas for about two weeks. Okay. And uh, went to the Castle of No Return, went to the rainforest, had the opportunity to meet both politicians and artists because Mm -hmm. Renee is, people gather to her. and, uh, And we are still very much Thank you, Zoom. Thank you, FaceTime. <laughs> right. We're still very much in touch.
0: Nice, nice. Yes. And so that's the Coco Brite Institute, which I'm very familiar with. And well, Yes. Is. Yes. And um, and have worked with Auntie Renee in the past. So, yes. I just want to... I,
1: I, I, I'm saying things... I obviously, we didn't rehearse this. <laughs> I'm am, I am cold about how we meet on the same plane, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah, we we had a family, Renee, her son Sekou, who's in Berlin, his children, Salim here with his children. And we said, we really have to do this Monthly, or at least make the effort, because mm. um, so many stories, I'm such sure. such energy. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's fast forward to your your third husband, who was a journalist, a business journalist, and
1: so he absolutely and and uh, yeah, it's, just, it's always interesting how men have come in my life, and I, I am flabbergasted by the idea of online dating. (laughs) And that that certainly said something about my age. (laughs) But with Milton, he had been the companion of a very, very dear friend I had met in Zurich, but came back to New York, an African-American woman. And the three of us, Often, when milk came from San Francisco into New York, we often got together hearing music a concert. And suddenly, my friend Norma had cancer and succumbed rather quickly. And I was aware of the devotion in her last moments of hospice the quality of his devotion. And I said, hey, when you're coming to New York, because he was not only doing business in New York, but coming through New York to go to Europe, I said, let's just keep in touch. And keeping in touch morphed into a really loving relationship. And I thought that was going to be it. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I might come to San Francisco. Occasionally, he was in New York. But we certainly had a relationship. And then one day, he asked me to marry him, mm-hmm. and I was um, I was stunned. <laughs> and I, I, I was totally stunned because, yeah, I was nearing my. Late sixties and maybe even seventy. Now that I think about it, and I said, "Well, the relationship we have seems to work out for both of us." But he pushed, and love had its way. It did, and, and so we married. Okay, um, and uh, lived in a house that I shared with his step youngest stepson, two dogs, three children. It was frankly, as friends tell me, a testament to my patience. But, <laughs> in, any, but in any event, I knew for milk this was his home. Mm-hmm. And and I honored that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
0: Interesting. So you've blended families quite a bit over the years. Um, totally. What are some of your tips or what are some of your takeaways of of navigating the blend? Because first, you know, you had a great relationship with your first husband that endured. Your second husband, you didn't speak much about it.
1: With my first husband, Mm -hmm. I had stepchildren who were my age. Right. That Mm -hmm. I had gone to school with, that I knew. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a certain blindness of youth. Mm-hmm. I'll kind of throw that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my second husband having stepchildren that were older mm-hmm. and the balancing of blending a family when stepchildren are adolescent, moving into their teens mm-hmm. and having a son by my sex, Salim by my second husband. But I know that it's something very important in my makeup to keep the love and the relationships flowing mm-hmm. and to this day, my stepdaughter was recently with Salim in Atlanta mm. he came he came here to California from Nairobi, then went to Atlanta where. He was with his father and his sister, and his sister and I stayed very close. Okay. Uh, and, and it says possibly something about me as an only child, always wanting somehow to keep the family intact. Mm, hmm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. 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 Well, good job. <laughs> and patience <laughs> is indeed a virtue, because you know, I my father has been married four times himself, and so I have, I had, I have four sisters, three other sisters now. He had five daughters, and so interestingly, living across oceans, we were not necessarily close. I'm close to my sister with my mother. But now as adults, now we are together now, you know, just coming together to take care of our father and make sure everything's OK. So I I understand it. The effort that counts. Yeah, that it effort. Comes,
1: there comes a time that anger and bitterness is a real effort. Mm-hmm. So let it let it mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to adore and embrace everyone, mm-hmm. but civility, the idea that there's blood running through your veins that you share. Yeah. As Jesse Jackson would say, keep hope lot. <laughs> indeed, indeed,
0: indeed. So that brings me to my mindset hat question. So this is where I ask you to tell us of your favorite or an innovative mindset hack. So this is something that you can imagine, something you know of, something that you practice. What would you call your
1: mindset hack? Well, my mindset over the past few years has been activated by morning meditation, mm. by by clearing any thoughts, really opening the day to the newness of the day. Mm. And there have been some readings that have been helpful. Mm -hmm. But I, from the time I was little, I can easily be scattered with my thoughts, with my intentions. Uh, uh, So starting the day, as my feet touch the floor, starting the day with gratitude and giving thought to to that wow. and then often letting letting the day at times lead me. Mm. Um, I like that as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I should also add that I'm in two book clubs. One, if you can believe it, is all African-American ladies in Marin. And you okay. know, that is an oxymoron. But it, <laughs> but we are we are all definitely Black. Okay. Uh, we are probably from mid-50s to my dearest friend, Anna, who is 90, 99. Oh, wow. And okay. who I speak to every day, often twice. And she is my special guru. Yeah. And when she says good night to me in the evenings, she'll say, "Are you in your night clothes yet?" And <laughs> I love, I love that term. Um, yeah. I mean, I-, I shared that with you because it's so endearing. Mm-hmm. And and Saline and my grandchildren have gotten to know her, oh, and. Yeah. Uh, For me, she is the embodiment of my family saint. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we know
0: you're this expansive person and reader. So tell us, what are some of your your favorite reads and most recent reads?
1: Well, I have to say, I am the embodiment of summer reading. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I just read Walter Mosley that's probably about four years old. And I'm trying to think of the title. I think it's like Into the River, Into the Sea. Okay, And it's pure Walter Mosley, grimy, seedy, hip New York. I Mm -hmm. loved it. Mm -hmm. The other book I read for his wit is Carl Hyasson. Carl Hyasson, a journalist from, from Florida. Okay. And he does a romp on current politics, of course, using different names, but uh, the melody lingers on. Mm-hmm. And it's outrageous, and I loved it. Recently, I reread The Interpreter of Maladies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's Jhumpa Lahiri, who uh, won a Pulitzer for that. and. I love the unexpected developments in short stories. Mm -hmm. So she's fascinating because several years ago she dove into learning Italian and now she's her books are written in Italian, though she's an American and she's living in Rome. Wow. And I love My book clubs, because they have often introduced me to writers that I might never have found. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, when I was growing up, I wasn't a reader. And the books that I was given, perhaps when I was five or six, were Dick and Jane. Dick Mm. and Jane are white. Yeah, their dog is Spot, their baby sister is called Baby. It, it turned me off right. reading completely, and and so when I send Christmas gifts to Assad an and Azza, there is this wealth of extraordinary black children's books, teens books, extraordinary writers, extraordinary. Uh, illustrators, I can only say if I had had that, I would have been gorging myself reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, So reading came to me perhaps in my early teens. Okay, got it, got it, got it.
0: But to your point, it really does matter. I mean, if we look back at generations of Black children who like you, were turned off until they could read something that represented them, that spoke to them.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, was I going to read Black Sambo? Right. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that was almost the choice I had. Mm-hmm. Either it was Dick and Jane, or it was Black Sambo, or something that was totally degrading and uh, off the charts. Right. Right. Well, thank you for those tips.
0: These are all great um, tips that we'll share in our show notes. With our, and folks, we're going to have really rich show notes because I think, I don't know if you've been picking up on the history here, but this is a wealth of history. And, you know, we've been glossing over a bit of some of the the characters that have been in Liz's life, but this is pretty amazing. So Liz, what's new and next for you? What's going on now? I heard I heard a little bird, bird telling me something about what's going on for you next. What, what's next?
1: Hmm. Well, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I would slowed down by a fall. And Salim coming here was so appropriate because he helped me. I, I had to have surgery. And so now I'm using a walker, a cane. You know, it's kind of boring stuff that old folks talk about. So we'll push forward. I am hoping at some point in my garage to have a show of the drawings and watercolors that I've done over the past year in Samuel P. Taylor Park, which is about a 20-minute ride, and uh, it is a Redwood Park. Oh, beautiful. And, And when I was actively drawing 20 years ago, one of my favorite sections was life drawing. And so I compare drawing the human body to drawing trees and how mm-hmm. their limbs intertwine, etc. Mm-hmm. So that that is something that I hope is not just fast talk Mm -hmm. that I will get to.
0: Okay. Okay. Wonderful. We'll look forward to hearing about that.
1: But otherwise you're taking, you're letting the days lead you. I love it. I mean, today, having neighbors over and prior to our starting, I was making, since the weather is hot, A watermelon salad Mm. with black olives. Oh, yum. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming through (laughs) the phone. Marinating red onions with lime juice and lots of good white wine and some artichokes. And I mean, California just really spoils you, even at the simplest supermarket the uh, array of organic vegetables are yeah. are to be embraced.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you make a good point of everything you just discussed was all from your hands, all from the garden, just really clean food. And it's just a way of-
1: And basically you see it in the fact that I don't know what the uh, statistics are, But there are so many old people like Mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. who are thriving. I hope that I have done honor to your podcast.
0: Absolutely. You've painted a lovely picture of a life that has been well lived and just all these experiences. So before we sign off, do you have any last words for our listeners?
1: (laughs) one step at a time. There you go.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. I
1: think I'll be afraid to hear me, but I will look forward to it.
0: Listeners, this has been another episode of Local Citizens. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with a new episode anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, you name it. You can find us Spotify, You can find us. So until next time, and again, you can catch us at www.localcitizenspod.com and check out the show notes. They'll be very rich. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.